0: had a wonderful Christmas and and New Year. I know this time of the year a lot of people are into making New Year's resolutions. It's a great time to look at uh, our lives and what has been and what we would like it to be and uh, make some adjustments. Can you imagine what the world would be like if everybody kept their New Year's resolution? Probably a different place. And so I heard this story recently of... uh, I don't know if it was New Year's resolution time or not, but this uh, wife went into the bathroom and the husband had, he was stepping up on the scale. And as he stepped up on the scale, he kind of sucked in his gut. And she was thinking a whole lot faster than she was processing. She goes, uh, uh, kind of sarcastically thinking, are you kidding me? You think that's going to work? And before she could process what was going on in her mind, it already came out of her mouth. And she said... You think that's actually going to work? And his response was, "Yeah, because if I don't, I can't see the numbers." <laughs> now that story did not come just for clarification from the pastor's weight loss challenge. By the way, I just want to, but you know, it's a it's a great it's a great time of the year for us to really look at things in our lives that we would like to improve. Can you imagine if our New Year's resolutions had eternal impacts? If in our New Year's resolution that what we were resolving to change in our life had positive eternal consequences, where we were making commitments to really be involved and engaged in people's lives so that we could see God do miraculous things. How awesome would that be, that if we as a church made some resolutions this year to do things as a body of Christ? And, and who's the body? You are, right? Yeah, you know, we corporately together make up the, the, this body of believers. But what if we made resolutions that had Eternal significance. You know, we love to quote 2 Chronicles 7:14 that says, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray. Now, we normally stop there, right? We think if they would just humble themselves and pray. But then the rest of the verse says, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. So if we humble ourselves, we get our knees and we pray, and we seek the face of God, and we confess our sin, then he will hear from heaven. And he will forgive our sins and heal their land. Especially right now with all that's going on politically in our world. And, you know, it's, it's easy for us in the church to get so frustrated with our country, knowing the biblical foundations that our country came from and where we are today, that we just sit there and whine and complain. In fact, many, many, many Christians don't even get out and vote. And I, I think there's a big problem with that. That will be another sermon sometime. Uh, but here's the reality the problem with this country starts in the problem in the church, right? If we as the church were doing what God has called us to do in the Word of God, this country would not be in the state that is in today if the church were the church. If we weren't just a bunch of holy huddles that come together on Sunday to sing a few songs, put some money in an offering plates so we can feel good about ourselves, and go and live unlike the church the rest of the week. If the church was the church, making disciple-makers, then those disciple-makers would one day be in political offices and then be able to lead the country upon the very foundations that this country was based upon to begin with. And so if our New Year's resolutions were first as the church to have some eternal significance, then maybe the country would be a whole lot better than it is. But when we, we live in a great country, it is still a phenomenal country, the best country in the world where we have the freedom to be able to exercise religious freedom, the freedom to come here and not have to worry about people watching us having come and and then having consequences like we heard in the missions moment today. You know, but one of the principles, it's a biblical principle, by the way, that this country was founded upon is the equality of people, right? It comes right out of the Word of God that in God's image, we are created equal, male, female, Jew, Greek, we are equal. It is a foundation this country has been based upon that comes from the Word of God and Hundreds of thousands of people have come to this country because of that. And so we, we need to praise God that we still live in this country. However, that idea of equality of people has morphed into an equality of thought. Think about that for a second. We, we usually use the term political correctness now to encompass that. But equality of one another has gone into this equality of thought that every thought is equal. And so much so, and we used to use the word tolerance. That you know, we, we in fact, the word tolerance means that hey, you disagree with somebody, but you're still going to tolerate them. The word tolerance has turned into now you have to say that their thought is on equal level with yours, and you can't say anything against their thought. That one thought is just as valid as another thought. Now that's really ludicrous if you think about it. And it's but that's where our country has gone in this equality of thought. And may I just suggest that. That mentality has crept into the church. We use the word universalism in spiritual realms, that universalism really would be that all roads lead to heaven. Now, we would totally disagree with that in this church and in many churches, that all roads don't lead to heaven. Uh, And so we wouldn't adopt a universalistic mindset. But let me just suggest this. The church in America has adopted universalism in their actions. If we really believe that Jesus is the only way to God, how can we remain silent? If we really believe that the gospel is as powerful as we looked at these last month and a half, two months, we look at the gospel and how powerful it is, how powerful it is to transform, and yet we remain silent and we don't share it, have we not really adopted this universalistic mindset that they'll find out on their own? Whether passively or intellectually, you know, some, in some circles, we put this theological twist on things that, hey, God calls all people to himself, which is absolutely true, but as we're going to see in a second, God has a plan. It's only one plan for the lost to come to himself, and that involves you and I. And so we put this theological twist on it that God calls all people to himself, therefore we don't need to do anything, and we're going to blow that one out of the water today for based upon God's word, but whether intellectually or practically, may I just suggest that the church in America and even our church here to one degree or another has adopted this universalistic mindset to one degree or another that we're not going out and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so my goal for us this year would be, can you imagine if each of us would make this commitment? We shared the gospel once a month. It's only 12 times a year. There's, we're averaging now 400 people on any given Sunday. If everybody that came to church on a Sunday would share the gospel one time a month, that's 4,800 people. By the way, I had to do the math before because I'm not a mathematician. And yes, I did use my calculator. So you double that, that's what? If we did it twice a month, that's 9,600 people that we would have shared the gospel with. Now, just using base, let's just say 10% of those people actually make a profession of faith. That's 96 people that come to faith in Jesus Christ just because we made this intentional commitment to share the gospel of Jesus Christ once a month or maybe twice a month. 96 people that would come to faith in Christ based upon you and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Not only would 96 people come, I think there would be a whole lot more than 96 people that would come. You know, we, we understand verses, you know, in Romans, that Romans ten nine and 10, that, you know, we, we quote all the time that if, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe within your heart that God raised from the dead, then you will be saved. For it is with your, the mouth, with the heart that one believes and is justified, and with the mouth that one confesses and is saved. We believe that wholeheartedly here, right? But really, when we look at our actions corporately as a church, how many of us are sharing this with other people? I'm not going to go around and ask you you by a show of hands how many times you shared the gospel. I'm not going to do that because even for me, I'm not sharing the gospel enough. Because I'm in this office too much, and I'm not out there where I can share the gospel. All of us can do a better job. You know, we, we agree with Romans 10, uh, 10 11, where, where Scripture says that everybody who believes in Him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew or Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing riches on all who call on Him, for everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. We believe that wholeheartedly, but here's where the rubber meets the road. How will they hear? How are they going to hear that they need to call on the name of the Lord unless we then go and talk to them? The verses that follow in Romans 10, verses 14 and 15, which we often forget about as we go through this, say, how then will they call on them who they have not believed? And how will they believe in Him who they have not heard? And how will they, how they hear about without somebody preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent, as is it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, "The the Lord who has believed what he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the words of Christ. If we don't preach it, there's no way they can come to faith in Jesus Christ. Now let me just blow up what you might think the word preach means. The word preach here is not what I'm doing right now. The word preach here is the public proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what the word preach here means, that we are publicly sharing the good news, the gospel that we've been unpacking for the last month and a half with those who don't know it. And if we don't share it, how are they ever going to come to faith in Jesus Christ? And so let me just unpack this a little bit more. This practical universalism that I believe has infiltrated the church, has done so in a variety of different ways, whether, and here's what we typically do. We we say that people have the gift of evangelism, and I, I personally can't stand that. Now, I know it's listed as one of the spiritual gifts, and I do think that some people have this special ability, just Billy Graham was one of them. He's just able to share the gospel, and he's anointed by the Holy Spirit, and every time he shares, people come to faith in Jesus Christ. Others don't have that particular gift, but here's the reality. God's plan, and it's only one plan. There is no plan B. In fact, that's the title of this sermon. There is no plan B. Our, his plan is for you to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, for me, for all who have this relationship with him, to share the good news of what God has done in our life. In fact, that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to teach you how to share what God has done in your life in a way that hopefully is enticing to other people and they want to hear more. But there is no plan B for God to reveal the gospel. Even for people that we see overseas, many Muslims are having these dreams about Jesus. The dream doesn't save them. It is somebody presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ to them that helps them come, and that's the connection to Jesus Christ. And there's stories all over the world about these Muslim people having these dreams, and dreams that are giving to missionaries at the same time. And the, I mean, here's one. There is a Muslim banker, uh, I'm not even going to tell you where he was from, but he kept on having this dream that he was supposed to get on a train and go to a certain park. Well, he was a very wealthy banker, and he had a limousine that picked him up and took him to work every single day. Three days in a row, he kept having this dream. And so finally, he got on this train. So he gets on this train. He doesn't know where the stop is to be, but he has visually seen this park. And so this, he sees the train coming that had just passed the park. So he gets off, and he goes and walks to the park. Basically, God said he would reveal himself to him at that park. Three days prior, God had given the dream to two missionaries. They had been prayer walking that park for three days. All they knew is they were supposed to go and they were supposed to give a Bible to a guy there. Didn't know who he was. This guy gets off the train, walks to the park. The two missionaries and this guy passed, and instantaneously the Spirit of God communicated to both of them that that's the guy. They gave him the Bible, led him to Jesus Christ. He had the dream, but apart from the gospel being presented to him, there's no way he was going to come to faith in Christ. We are God's plan. So here's the reality. The reality of the Word of God is very clear. As we go through Romans, we'll do a quick deal through Romans. If you want to turn to Romans, we'll fly through. Here's the reality that God has given us beginning in in Romans 1. That first of all, everybody has knowledge of who God is. So we look at chapter 1, uh, verse 18 through 20. It says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Verse 19 says this, for who can, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. Now, you guys have heard me say over and over and over that I, I, I'm just really a dumb jock. I wasn't really interested in school, and it was athletics that got me through school. Uh, I, didn't, I could care less about science was I, when I was in school. I wasn't very good at it. It didn't make much sense. But let me just tell you this. The more I've studied the Word of God, the more desire I've had to study science. I've studied more science since college than I ever did in all my years of academics. You know the reason why? Because as I have studied science all the way down to microbiology, you see the glory of God. The glory of God is revealed over and over and over in the detail of His creation. And Here's what Romans is saying. His divine knowledge and God's power has been revealed to all human beings. We are without excuse because it has been revealed to us. But here's the second thing that Romans tells us. You know, in verse 21 is that we, we all reject God. So you look down there, even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their fullest hearts were darkened. So even though we have this knowledge of God, I believe that in our DNA we have an understanding that there is a God, that we reject God. And when we reject God, then, then we are, everybody is guilty before God. If you turn over to chapter 3 and verse 10 through 12, you know, it, it says this, um, you know, As it is written, no one is righteous, not even one. No one understands nor seeks God. All have turned aside together and they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. You know, and so all of us have rejected God. We have this understanding of God, we reject God, and now because of that we are guilty of God. We understand this, we understand the gospel well, uh, you know, but here's the reality for everybody that does not know Jesus. You know, because we reject God, then we are separated from God. You know, verse 20 says, you know, that for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes a knowledge of sin. Nobody is going to work their way to heaven. In Romans is great as it unpacks all these things in here. And so we got a problem, right? We've been looking at this problem as we've studied the gospel. The problem is that in our sins, we are dead. We are hopeless. You know, and so here's the reality. Everybody does not know Christ. Everybody who does not know Christ is condemned in their sin to an eternal separation from God in hell forever. And as we as the church remain silent, what we really have said that we have adopted this universalistic mindset thinking that they will find out for themselves one day, but the reality is that they won't. But here's the hope, that God has made a way for salvation. You know, in 21 and 22, it's in, uh, verse chapter 3, Says, but now the righteousness of God has been made manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. Verse 23, we know well, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is Christ Jesus. So all who put their faith in Christ Jesus, God has made this way through him. But here's the reality that we have to understand. There is no plan B. God has one plan to share the good news of Jesus Christ, and that is through those of us who already have this relationship with him. He has commanded all of us to be able to share the word. Turn over to chapter 10 of Romans. We'll look at verses 13 uh, through 15 of, of chapter 10. says this, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But here's 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him who they have not heard? If we aren't telling them about who Jesus is and they aren't hearing it, they can't call on the name of the Lord. Verse 15, how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the words of Christ. God has no plan B. You are his plan to share the gospel. Now, I know that scares us. We go, "I, I, I don't know how to do that. Tonight will be a help in that, is in teaching you how to initiate conversations of things that God's already done in your lives, and I want to encourage you to come back. But here's the harsh reality of a practical universalism that has infiltrated the church. church that's comfortable with the size they are right now is a church that's comfortable with people going to hell. Let that sink in for a moment. A church that's comfortable and remaining the same size they are right now, and I understand that only God causes the growth, but a church that's comfortable remaining the size they are now is a church that's comfortable with people going to hell. You see, if all of us would share the gospel and only one out of ten people would come to faith in Jesus Christ, we'd have a minimum of 96 more people that would come. And I say a minimum because when you reach somebody in the family, and I've shared this over and over, when you reach the dad, 96% of the family will come to faith in Jesus Christ. So if you reach 96 dads, how many people are going to end up coming to church? A whole lot. And then we don't have a place for them. We don't have the infrastructure to support that. We don't have the place for them. But here's the reality, that if we're going to be the church that God has called us to, then we've got to be a church that is sharing the gospel. If we really understand the gospel and what's going to happen in people's life, and that we are God's only plan, then we've got to learn to share the gospel in ways that are going to permeate into the culture, ways that we're going to be able to engage the culture in conversation so that we can share the good news. Let me just make a confession about myself. I was just telling somebody this after the first service. For the first time in my life, really, since uh, since I've come to Smith, I am not out amongst the lost. For the last two years, I have not been amongst the lost. And that's not right. Our kids have always participated in county sports, I've coached, and we've always been intentional about being in the community. Here's the reality for us as believers, and it's the reality for me right now, that if the only people you're around are Christian people, how are you ever going to share the gospel? You can't. We've got to be out there in the world building relationships with those who are unchurched, those who don't know Jesus, so that we can share the good news with them. But we've got to learn how to do it in ways that we can engage them that is enticing, not repulsive. So we need to learn how to have these spiritual conversations that can lead to things. Can you imagine if we had this New Year's resolution that? All of us, were are going to make intentional efforts to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean that every time we made an effort to, we're going to get there, but we're building these relationships to share the gospel that we're asking one another in our Sunday school classes or in, our, in our, the groups that we hang around in church. I mean, hey, have you had a chance to share the gospel this week? No, I haven't even thought about it. But you know what's going to happen if we're asking each other those questions over and over? It's going to be continually in our mind. You know, how can we initiate these conversations that might lead to spiritual things? I want to share with you my heartbeat and just a glimpse of it, for what I believe this church can be. I'm not even going to share the whole thing because I don't think you can handle. it. And yeah, I had two cups of coffee this morning, uh, and uh, it's. But I get fired up when it comes to those things. When I think about what God can do amongst His people who are sold out for Him, allowing the Holy Spirit to do amazing things in their lives, uh, it's incredible when I think about that. That if all of us would share the gospel once a month or twice a month what God will do. If it is his only plan that we share the gospel and we share the gospel, what is he going to do? He said in his word, we see it in Revelations, that one day every tribe, every tongue, and every nation are going to be represented in heaven. Well, guess what? If we start sharing the gospel, he's going to bring people to faith in himself. That is his plan for us to do it. And so we share it, we let him bring people to faith in himself, and then we see people's lives changed. You know, when people's lives are changed, guess what's going to happen to your life? If you had a role in seeing them come to faith in Jesus Christ, they're going to start asking you all sorts of questions. And then what God says in His word, that we make disciples of all nations teaching them to obey everything He's commanded us. And we get this opportunity to do that. We, we call it discipleship and we're doing life with them, and we're sharing with them how to obey. We're sharing with them from the Word of God, these things in their life that end up transforming their lives. Man, it gets exciting. And your hunger for the word will go through the roof because sometimes you're remembering the things that you have kind of forgotten about as you're teaching them and you get this renewed interest in spiritual things. Their lives change. Our lives get on fire. They get on fire and start sharing with more people and all of a sudden it just goes crazy. I believe this church can be something special. I believe the people that God has already assembled here and the people that are coming to the church that God has brought together an amazing group of people. And as I talk to you and I hear your heartbeats and I hear what God is doing and I see the leadership potential that's in this church, it blows my mind. What I believe God can do here is something incredibly special. I believe God is wants today to wake up a sleeping giant called Smith Memorial Baptist Church. I believe God is calling us to be the church, a church that can have incredible impact in this community, a church that I believe could be double or triple this size in a short period of time. We need an infrastructure in place to be able to do that and maintain that. But I believe we're well on our way for that. But I believe this church can be double or triple or even quadruple the size that it is right now. Now, I'm not into a big church. As a matter of fact, that scares the pants off me because I don't think I'm the guy for a big church. I don't think God has equipped me to do that. You know, and I'm okay with that. But what I think God can do through this local body of believers is absolutely incredible. You know, I'm not into this multi-church strategy where there's one guy and they're simulcasting him. And I, even though God's church is growing in, in that methodology, I'm not so sure how biblical it is. You know, what happens if that guy goes on to be with the Lord? What happens to the church then? See, what I think the biblical model is, is that we make disciple-makers. And as we make disciple makers, leaders are grown up out of that. I believe what this church can be is a a big enough size that we are raising up leaders from within the church. And we have so many leaders within the church, we don't have places for them to lead. So what do we do? We take 150 of our people and we go plant another church from all the leaders that are within. And then we grow it up again, and this church grows up again. We do the same thing. We're multiplying disciple makers, and we're raising up leaders, and we go plant another church. Maybe we plant a church overseas somewhere, and God just keeps doing this stuff. When we get an excitement for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, teaching people to obey the commands that God has already given us, we raise up disciple makers who so are making disciple makers, and I'm telling you what, what God could do is absolutely amazing. But it comes back to this question. If we're okay with being 400 people, then what we're really saying is we're okay with people going to hell. And I know that seems harsh, but that is the reality that if we want to remain the same, the only way we can remain the same is never share the gospel of Jesus Christ. But if we share the gospel, it is going to be exciting and it is going to be messy. Because when you share the gospel, I mean, you think about where some of you have come from. I know how messed up I was, and I grew up in a church. It's going to be messy. It's going to mean change. it's going to mean a lot of change in this church in the next year. If we as a church decide what we want to be, it's going to mean lots of change. But I believe we're at that point where we've got to decide. Are we going to be 400 forever? Or are we going to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and see what God wants to do? That's scary. But you know what's interesting to me? As I shared this same thing with the first service, I actually got amens in the first service. I thought it would be the opposite. I thought there'd be silence in the first service and amens in the second. I believe God has equipped people in this church, and there's leaders sitting here in pews today that are not serving anywhere. We need to change that. We do. I believe I'm supposed to say this. Wasn't planning on it. But here's the reality for the future of this church. It's you. When we have business meetings, I would say less than 3% of the people in this congregation come to. Them. If we want this church to be what it can be, all of us have to be a part of the body of believers, using all the skills and experiences and gifts that God has presented that are in this body to bring Him glory. We've got to come together. Yes, we have two services, but we are one body of Christ. We've got to come together and pray together and come together and glorify God together and come together as one body, deciding what direction we're going to go as a body of believers. And that involves you. Some of you have been coming for months, you know, and... and, You need to join the church so that your skill sets can be used for the glory of God so that we can grow as a church. I believe God has brought some of you here to help us go into the future. But the the reality, we have to ask ourselves, are we willing to become that kind of church or do we want to stay the same? That's where we're at. And so as we come to our time of invitation, my desire is this. I'm not going to do a big altar call or anything like that. We've done that and there's been really little response in the last couple months on that. We've done these checks where we say, hey, God, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. And to be honest, we got maybe 15 people fill those things out. Personally, I think that's a little pitiful. But are we willing to say, I'm going to make this commitment? I don't even know how. And if you don't know how, come tell me. I'll give you ideas on how to do it. I'm going to make this commitment to share the gospel at least once a month over this next year. Man, I'm to do it twice a month. You know, if you're willing to do that, then I want you to make that commitment before God Almighty. You know, and if you don't know how, then tonight's a good place to start. And then we'll teach you how to do that. But I believe we can become a church that is on fire for Jesus to impact Williamsburg and the surrounding counties. You know, in amazing, amazing ways because God's people got serious. In the weeks to come, you know, we're going to continue this idea of of, uh, New Year's resolutions by looking at spiritual disciplines. You know, if we really understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we've got to be readers of the word. We're going to look at that. We're going to look at being prayers, you know, real, really praying. If we understand the gospel, then how do we pray? Matter of fact, what I've, we're going to do in one service, Because what we're going to do. We're going to pray. You ever done that in the worship service, that the whole time of prayer? Well, we're actually going to do that you know we're going to start looking at spiritual disciplines from the gospel perspective of taking the good news to Jesus Christ and why we need to be, do, be doing some of those things but my desire is and it goes back to starting this whole series is that we give God glory by being the church and doing the things that he's called us to do will you pray with me father I am so grateful that you are God who cares, that you are God who loves us in such a way that has made a way for us to be redeemed to you. God, I do thank you that your word is so clear that not only how we are to come to faith in Jesus Christ, but Lord, you've given us the method, in fact, your only method to share the gospel with others. And God, I know even myself have not done the job that I need to do. And certainly, God, we as a church have not done that job. But God, as we come before you, I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us. Lord, that you would convict our hearts to be willing to make that sort of commitment to be the church member that we need to be and looking for opportunities to share the gospel. And God, I pray as we do that you would do. In fact, I already thank you in advance that you will do your part in bringing people to yourself as we, by faith, share the good news of Jesus Christ. And so, God, right now, I pray that you would speak to us in an amazing way in Jesus' name.